Hey everybody, welcome back to the One Whole Life Media Podcast. My name is Sean Francis and here we're just trying to solve mental health. <laughs> Super simple problem. Or at least take tools from the experts and, and provide a platform for them to share their information and wisdom with you. This week is really cool. When I got out of the mental health institution in 2012, I just remember thinking, how have I not heard about any of these tools I've learned? How have I not learned to challenge my thoughts? How have I not learned about thought records? How have I not learned about mindfulness or meditation? Because it, it helped me so quickly. It seemed insane that it took a mental breakdown <laughs> to learn about these things. And I kept wondering, what would my life have looked like if I, if I had these sooner in life? And why aren't there people teaching these to kids sooner? And so, thanks to Shauna Schmidt, she helped me answer this question by connecting me with Jason Gruel, who is literally writing children's books explaining these things, these concepts, to children. He wrote a book called Everything is Connected. Another one called Our Animal Neighbors. And my personal favorite, Just a Thought, which is the most powerful tool that I have had uh, to help with my you know, depression anxiety issues, is to have thoughts and just, just to help kids the way it needs to. <laughs> anymore and how and and he in and we talked about holes in the and we talked about holes in the educational system about how why aren't they teaching you how to create and hold friendships and, and create relationships things like that like it's a powerful life skill that seems like everybody should have so we talked about all sorts of crazy things but i i was pleasantly surprised uh but i am just in awe he has the brilliance to be able to convey these kinds of topics to kids and give them these tools earlier in life. So without further ado, Jason Gruel. Jason Gruel believes that all kids are smart, brave, kind, and creative, and he writes books to help them remember that. As an author and a psychotherapist for children and adults, Jason is dedicated to making a difference in people's lives and to helping them realize their power and potential. Jason is a former special educator and a former executive director and founder of the Joshua School, a school for children with autism spectrum disorders and developmental disabilities in Boulder and Denver, Colorado. He holds a master's degree in counseling psychology. When not writing, Jason is addicted to scones, board games, reading, and watching sci-fi movies with his cattle dog, Kobe. For more on Jason, head over to www.jasongruel.com. Everybody, Jason Gruel. Confucius said we have two lives, and the second begins when we realize that we only have one. We're all given one whole life. And when we find and break the barriers that are preventing us from living fully, we have an audacious attempt to improve mental health. One Whole Life with Sean Francis. You said you're a therapist for adults and kids, right? Yeah. So, but like you've written these awesome children's books, like they're oh, look at you. absolutely yeah, but... <laughs> fantastic, you know? So like, why, why children's books? Um, you know, I was working with, um, I'd, I'd been working with kids with autism and for a long time and had a school and all this stuff. And at the time, I actually, I met my then, um, well, I met, I met a guy and we got married and, <laughs> and then 
he was like, do you want to move to Mexico while I was working <laughs> at this school? And I said, yeah, I would love to move to Mexico, but I, I, I actually run a school uh, and <laughs> my life is really looks different than that. And in that a few minutes later, I was like, that's actually possible. And when I moved, and so six months later, I moved to Mexico. I hadn't even thought about really what I would do. And when I got down there, I was like, what am I going to do? And so I declared myself a children's author. And where it came from was, I think I was kind of having an existential crisis around if I'm not an, the autism guy, if I'm not doing this, running this school and doing these things, like who am I? And the first things that came back to me were things that I loved as a kid and things that I loved when I was in college and thinking, what am I going to do with my life? You know, foreign languages and music and writing and all this stuff. And it was really cool to see this um, come back in this way and be like, wow, I want to write and I want to write for kids. And um, I think it, most of my adult life has been a about kids in some way, whether it's kids with autism or uh, counseling or just that focus. So then having writing be about kids really made sense yeah. for me too. That's, so, yeah. it, it's, I, I'm, I'm completely interested only because I feel like I have this weird connection with kids too, where almost like mm. animals in a way too, where they're completely unfiltered. They say exactly yeah. what they think and there's yeah. like, there's no conditioning <laughs> yet or anything like that. And for me, I love yeah. that. <laughs> like it's one of my favorite things. And, and yeah. like, and, and why I wanted to talk to you like so much was because I remember like going, being in a mental health hospital uh, in my mid twenties and thinking if I just had these tools sooner, like my life would look mm. completely different. And like, just a thought is literally, I, I came out with two shirts and the first one was don't believe everything you think. And like, it's exactly <laughs> yeah, what this book that. is yeah. about, you know? Uh, yeah. I love what you're saying about kids being just so essentially like blatantly who they are yeah. uh, and same, same with the animals. I, I'm always like, is it okay to compare kids and animals? But there's so, there is so much um, organic isness, you know, they, they just are what they are in so many ways until, until we parents and everybody else kind of start to, you know, have their impact on them, et cetera. Yeah. But there is this beautiful sense of um, interacting with the world as it is. And I think that is, um, that's something that really attracted me to both entering the world of kids and trying to recapture that sort of for myself and for when talking to other people around like that idea of being able to, so many of the different religions sort of have some kind of statement around like to be able to really get to who you are, you have to, and you have to think like a child, act like a child, not in childish ways, but in like in perceiving the world as something that you are a part of. Yeah. As opposed to the separateness that we continue to sort of layer on across time. I think that the other thing I loved about children's books was that they seem, they seem simple. I, I call myself a writer, but I don't fancy myself to write like a, you know, some fat novel of some kind you right. know, or whatever. So I thought, Oh, kids books will be more manageable. And I knew that wasn't the case when I started, but like, cause so much more goes into the words, you know, and like every sentence has to sort of do a thousand things. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot easier to manage 32 pages in a picture book than it is to <laughs> 300 pages in 
a novel or something like that. So, so when you were writing these, did you have did did you write it out first and then have someone illustrate on top of it? Is that kind of, was your process for that? Yeah, I typically I'll typically write the text and then um, and then I kind of I realize that I'm a little bit of a control freak, so I actually like maybe a lot of picture book authors have it in their heads that of what the illustrations look like in their minds. So I will actually like, oftentimes I might even sketch out the book, how I see it. uh, But I don't, I don't think I'm a good enough illustrator yet to do that for myself. And then I'll write the text that goes with it. And then I turn it over to an illustrator who ends up always making it 10 times better than what I ever could have imagined, (laughs) which is like the beauty of collaboration, you know, all the time. But so for that process, like how did how did you pick the first three? Like you have just a thought, everything is connected in our in our animal neighbor. Like, yeah. When you were, and, and if I'm projecting, just stop me. But I is is it like these common themes you were seeing like when you were working with people, and you're like, if people have these mm-hmm. early enough, like or I, I won't say most important, but kind of the big ones you wish people just had early. Is that kind of how you approach? Yeah. That? No, I think I think you're hitting on it. Um, what I always, I sort of joke, not joke about with, about this with people is that I mine kind of my own neuroses and I mine my own struggles that I've had across my lifetime for books. But I also have the blessing of being a, a, a counselor, a therapist where I, I hear a lot of like what people struggle with. And so it's exactly like these themes of, um, feeling separate, like not understanding that, you know, when we, when we pull on one thing, it's connected to everything else. And unless you are sort of viewing the world from that context, you can get isolated on a particular idea or a concept and not, and, and, and of course it doesn't make sense because it doesn't have a context of sort of everything else that goes with it. And of course you get more, you take yourself far too seriously because you're like, Oh my God, I'm this thing. And you're, it's true that you're both simultaneously like the most amazing miracle on the planet. And you're also like, no big deal. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think it was, it was these kinds of things. And then just a thought was the idea of, um, we just, you know, you, you get this really well, like uh, that we're not, we're not our thoughts yeah. and that thought derail us. We're something that's so much more um, than that. So I, it was this idea that if kids could at least hear this earlier, like if someone had told me, Hey, your thoughts aren't you when I was eight, yeah. I would have been like, what? Yeah. Oh, that's an option to know that? Or <laughs> I was like that in my mid twenties, like, wait, I don't have to believe that. What? I'm Just because right. I have it. Yeah. I was in my forties. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's getting better. <laughs> but yeah. So, um, so how did you get how did you get there? Like, was it through were you learning mindfulness practices or something like that while you were, mm-hmm. you know, in school, or did you find this later in life? Or like what? I think it was I in college, I sort of, um, I had a really, I know a, a lot of people didn't have a, don't have a really great relationship with religion. And I was raised in, in Minnesota in a really sweet kind of Lutheran thing where it was really about 
being nice to each other, community potlucks, like it didn't, it wasn't really dogmatic and there wasn't a lot of like guilt and brimstone and all this stuff. So I didn't, I actually had a really beautiful experience with spirituality from, from an early age. But I also, as I continued to grow and know myself a little bit more, and I think in college, I was like, wow, this is, this is just one view. And so where, where else can I look at sort of, where else can I look to sort of see what is this thing called being a human as I head out into this very scary and weird adult life. And so Buddhism was one of the things that I really dove into. And it was, and, you know, I think I, you know, I dove into it is actually an overstatement. I, I read on it and I was like, that's really cool. I probably bought a stone Buddha and had some like, you know, calligraphy in my apartment. Yeah. <laughs> but it continued to sort of be something that I, I came back to over and over again as something I wanted to know more about. And then in my, I would say in my late thirties, I started really getting into meditation and meditation was where I, it was so hard at first because I was, it was just me and all of this and everything I thought I knew about meditation, et cetera. And then I started to like become involved in communities where people were doing things. And I started, I think the beautiful thing was I looked outside of myself for the answer in, okay. in community and in teachers and in other people who had something to offer um, so that I could then discover for myself, what was it that I in particular as Jason Gruel was sort of um, dealing with in terms of shame or guilt or leftover things from being a kid or whatever it was um, to start sifting that out. So I okay. think it, that's where it started. And then across my lifetime, and then now I'm in um, my early 50s, and I have, uh, um, in my 40s, we're big diving into meditation, deep, deep meditation. And I think um, for the past probably seven or eight years, it's my only question. It's sort of like, what is it to be human? What yeah. is it to be me in this world? What is it to be a human being specifically? And that's why this, the children's writing, I think, comes in really beautifully right now because it's a really cool question to be asking and to be going through and then to sort of say, I want to speed that up for that eight-year-old or I want to, yeah. I want to give a, a gift of this so that you can kind of dig in faster. Yeah, the, the cool part was I, I went and looked at your um, uh, questions and answers kind of thing or most popular mm. questions. And the one, the one that struck me was this is really complex stuff. You know, how is a kid going to understand this? And I think your answer, correct me if I'm mm. wrong, where you were like, kids understand this better because their minds aren't in a box yet. Like they, they have this imagination. They're able to grasp these concepts, which yeah. is beautiful to me in a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's, I think it's true we often, one of the things that people have said to me, which I feel I, I'm always happy when they, people say it is that I, I have, um, I have a lot of respect for kids and mm -hmm. I, ha I meet kids sort of in a, in a place of you're a little human on this planet. You have, you don't have the years I might have, you don't, but your experience has already begun. And I want, and I'm going to engage with you as a human to human caring that your life turns out a particular way yeah. and, and in a free way that you get to decide for yourself how your life goes. And I think their ability to kind of hear things like this and go, 
oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Versus yeah. a 40-year-old or, or a 30-year-old who's like, what? No. And just, there's so much unlearning to do before we can head right. forward. Where kid just is kind of like, oh, got it. Yeah. Is that it? Do you keep going? <laughs> right. um, yeah. Are they going through like similar things that you deal with with adults? Like I, I was put in therapy like when I was a young kid, like eight, nine, mm. 10, you know, kind of an idea. And I don't know if you know a lot about yeah. my history, but lithium poisoning, you know, over under prescribed wrong. And that yeah. created all just sorts of mistrust with the system in a way. Yeah. It's, it's been kind of wild. Yeah. So um, my, my experience was, was different, you know, but like our kids coming in with like how do you approach a kid versus an adult is there a lot of unlearning process or is it more like no let's just put them on the right road and then you don't have to you know mm. unlearn anything <laughs> yeah you know i i think um this is sort of a duh statement but like honesty <laughs> is such a um honesty is sort of the i think the building block of like every relationship yeah. um and helping people start to trust themselves and helping people trust you and trust the world around them. And I think for kids that I'm seeing right now, um, there is a, I'm, I'm pretty honest about like, Hey, here's what's going on in your life right now. Yeah. Um, from, from the perspective of, uh, first of all, I guess they, a lot of them are coming in right now or their parents sort of will suggest they come in because of anxiety and depression and um, or, or deep sadness or existential kind of like, I don't get this whole thing. Yeah. And that was me. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and in particular right now, like the, the, the kind of like 13 to 19 year olds, like this is, this is a very different kind of human than we've seen, I think, on the planet before. I think there have been a number of generations that it's like a similar human under different circumstances. And I really feel like it's a different kind of human that's coming out right now with um, technology and science or like technology and all of this stuff present from the second you're born. Yeah, just the internet in general. Yeah. Yeah, this this access to knowledge, this access to being able to educate yourself, not necessarily, and sometimes in good ways, sometimes in bad ways, but like a good and bad, you know, like effective or ineffective yeah. ways. Um, but the so a lot of it is really like so why I say it's a different human is they are they're coming in and not understanding why the world is struggling in the particular way it's struggling, and why they are are sort of like reaping the horrible uh you know the fumes the consequences from our, our bad chevy you know yeah. <laughs> we're pumping out to that <laughs> right and and they're like it doesn't make sense and in adolescence it's tricky enough sort of as it is but then to sort of be in this the world is in a really crazy transition especially the west and the united states in kind of it's it's in in many ways it's sort of like the end or a massive shifting of empire it is a shift from like ways of we that we have energy it's a way of shifting of how all of our information and knowledge gets passed our education system is like in many ways completely irrelevant and in lots of ways shifting and figure it is a wacko time yeah to be going through life and so they come in and i'm like oh my god let me first let me start by saying there is no way 
no reason you wouldn't be feeling completely wacko right now. (laughs) And I, we paint, paint a little bit of the setting for them. And then also sort of go into, um, I, you know, I have news for you. Your parents like have, have little clue what they're doing. Like they are, they are trying the best they can based on the stuff that they're figuring out. But I said, they're still figuring it out. And I think, you know, most kids sort of see their parents as like, you have it nailed. And if you have it nailed, any problem that's happening must be me. And there's a lot of anxiety and ennui that comes from, from that feeling of like, well, it it has to all be me. Hmm. So I think first uh, up front being a little honest around like this is this is what happens generationally and and what the parent child relationship does and where your role is in it and then from that trying to help kids start to put together kind of with you know with these books or but more it being able to like go inward and start to trust themselves yeah. that they are the foundation that you know looking looking in some way to help them build that um, while recognizing that how they're feeling isn't their fault, that there are very specific things that contribute to why we get into this place. Yeah. So, but yeah. But besides the trust, which I mean, just listening to you say that makes me go, oh, <laughs> it's just yeah. like, we're all at the like the tip of this arrow. You know, it's like no one really knows what we're doing. We're just trying to do the best. week. That's I mean, that's kind of the sense. Yeah. I'm getting. And you kind of go, well, yeah. if nobody knows what's going on, we're on the same page and we're all on the same playing field. So, all right, let's see what yeah. we can do as a team. Right. Kind of. An yeah. Idea. Yeah. So what what kind of tools do you give these kids um, to, to help or their parents? What do you, what do you tell their parents? Kind of the same thing, or do you have anything where you like limit social media? I've heard a lot of social media kind of being bad for your brain and not you know seeing, seeing a realistic view of the world or, but then I've also you know, heard the other side where, you know, the future is technology. So embrace it and let's learn it now so we can master it as we go. So like right. where, what side do you take or do you, do you have a combination of both? I, I fall more on the, um, again, this is another one of those, like, this is a new human. And yeah, I, so I hard. think like people, people my age and older and, or maybe even forties and up or whatever are like that. I had a totally different childhood experience. Yeah. Like I have to sort of for the, for the sake of, of really being present for a kid who's 14 or something like that. I have to take myself out of my own experience. I mean, this is what any good therapist does, you know, like be able to put yourself in that individual's experience. And when I put myself in that individual's experience, what I see is that technology is not going away. Me being like, you need to be on a half hour and then go for a hike. <laughs> right. And then like, you know, prescribing some, something. I think the realistic and and sort of trusting thing on my part is to say, I actually trust that that kid is going to be embedded in technology. It's going to, it's going to infiltrate every area of their life. And from within that, I think that that, that individual will start to say, isn't there something more? Um, I can extract this from this. I can extract this from this, but let, I think that there will be a turning point of them, them looking out to nature or them looking out to these different things. I think 
I, I, you know, someone, I had a session yesterday and they were like really, really down. And I, I, the first thing I said was, what are you eating? You know, what's your, what are your, what's your diet like? And I said, let's, let's look at that. And I was like, okay, great. What, what is your exercise and sort of fitness looking like? And they, and I was like, okay, you need to be walking more. You need to be getting out more and doing these things. What is your social life like? And like, okay, we want to work on creating some more friendships and doing these things. And then after we sort of hit these core things that like this, this is the stuff of setting up your physical form and brain to just, just to even start to approach life, you know, beyond that, then we can kind of get into like, all right, where, where is the obstacle? You know, where is the thing that's preventing you from feeling as free and beautiful and spacious as you organically always are, Yeah, you know? I think that's the thing is sort of like, we can get into a space that feels so dark and so, and it can go on for so long that it can, it can just, it's assumed that that's normal and that that is permanent. Right. And I think it's, so it's, it's trying to like, break up rigidity it's okay. trying to like label obstacles so that we actually have something that we can work with and yeah. be with and do something with and not feel stuck mm-hmm. i think stuckness is the thing we covid is like the, <laughs> yeah. is the stuckness is sort of the thing we all have caught because of covid <laughs> yeah in many ways but I'm so, I'm, and again correct me if I'm, i don't i hate to try and put words in your mouth but it, no, no. it seems like that the main point is just like self-awareness, right? Like what things are making me feel this way? What things are making me feel this way? What are my thoughts doing? Like just paying attention to like your mind and your body and then maybe making different choices after that. Is is that kind of where you start? Cause everybody's, I keep going like everybody's yeah. different, right? Like some people, like uh, my, my job is social media now, right? Where it's done some really great things for me where someone else, you know, it might create an eating disorder or something like that. So yeah. Yeah. How do you, so is that kind of how you start is like, let's, and I know you just explained how, how you start, but is that awareness kind of that first piece? It's like, hey, let's let's try and bring some stuff to what's what's going on internally. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important that all of us as humans know that we, you know, like to quote, uh, who was it? Um, anyway, whoever said we're the ones we're looking for. You know, like we, it, it starts with you. Um, like you actually are the one with the path out. I. So much, so much of the suffering comes from constantly looking outwards for the answer and, and looking at other people's perceptions and other people's validation and other people's. And we were taught this, that we, right. there's no reason we wouldn't do this because if, as a kid, we love the hell out of ourselves. And then all of a sudden we learn, oh, shoot, I, I have to sort of be a particular way to be loved, yeah. or I need to look a particular way, or I need to do this stuff. And, and, and it starts there and it never ends. Isn't that kind of funny? Like we, <laughs> we start there, we go through this process and it's like, how do we get back there? But right. It's silly. Yeah. This is the, this is the kid piece again. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you have to go through that piece of, um, breaking it to almost like appreciate it or is yeah. that not necessarily? Yeah. And it's part, it's one of the things I talk about with kids in, in therapy is just sort of like, Hey, you came into the world, like loving life and not self-conscious and, and like just thinking that you rocked and yeah. I'm here to tell you, you weren't wrong. 
and and you've rocked this whole time but some things have covered that up and i think to your other question too like helping people feel like they have the tools to begin to get themselves back to that place of freedom and back to that place of feeling at home in their body and feeling like they have facility and owner and ownership of like their experience in this world and that the world is really just an extension of them and of all these things that that is what i'm trying to get people to and i think sometimes when we're in that place where it's gone on a long time or where there's been significant trauma or where there's been something that like keeps us from, it isn't as simple as being like, Oh, just meditate and get to know yourself. (laughs) It might, it might be really sitting with it for a long time and just sort of listening to the person and being with that person in that pain or in that suffering and, and, and acknowledging that, you know, sometimes it's wading through, things that I've seen some clients for years and then you know like two years and a month in they're like oh do you mean it's this and I'm like yeah that's that's what I mean for this long <laughs> and uh and another you know some kid will you know I'll talk to some kid kids have trauma too and it can take them a long time but some yeah. kid will I'll say it and they're like the next week they're like oh yeah, I tried that thing you were saying. That's really amazing. <laughs> they just went <laughs> into it. So um, the experiences are different for everyone and I don't pretend that it's easy or quick yeah. or that we all, or I think that's the beauty of sort of counselors or spiritual guides or coaches or dear friends or whatever it is that can help you sort of see outside of yourself and shake up whatever image or view you have of yourself Yeah. to find, to find these pockets. I love know? that. Yeah, yeah. That's a, I'm going to take a little bit of a left turn here because I, I, I've had yeah, this yeah. question for a while. But so most of my life, I've been told I have a chemical imbalance, right? And then what I what I've from doing these first few podcasts, I've kind of like realized that is I don't know if that's really the case. Isn't is from your experience? Isn't is depression yeah. just a symptom of something? that's going on is that's kind of how it's sort of been explained to me. Like you can't see it in your, you can see the the impact of depression on your brain, but you can't yeah. like find it, you know, or a thyroid might cause these symptoms, but yeah, like you can't pinpoint it like a lot of other diseases. Am, am I on track there? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can only speak from my experience yeah. with people that I've been with and, and, and friends and family and people in my life that have, that have depression or, um, <laughs> sorry, that's kind of a hard my, question. <laughs> no. So I, again, and I, I don't, I don't speak for anyone with, with depression. Um, I think that it's in some ways that people, some people maybe ha- do have like a propensity or have like something that, whether either chemically or things like predispose them to an easier and ease like slipping into depression or being in a depressive state, yeah. maybe easier um, than others. Um, or there's been some significant trauma or something that has, that has triggered that. And that's there. I think in most cases, like I said, circumstances build and they maybe build very early or something happens very early that sort of takes this, this sense of being at home in the world 
and that I have that that I'm okay, that I'm enough, that I'm valid, uh, and, and I'm worthy, like what, whatever the flavor of that is, and that I I have an easy um, back and forth with life. Something happens to sort of like have an individual go inward, and and that that can is often accompanied by a deep sadness and a yeah. deep separation from feeling whole and from feeling connected to the world. And so of course, this would be the, the natural consequence of that separation and of that experience of oneself in relationship to others and to the world. Yeah. And so, yeah. So to fix, I can't, I, I don't want to say fix depression, but like to heal from it, what you're saying is you've right. Is you work on the thing that's causing it, not necessarily. And I'm only asking because I've, been told for 25 years that it's this way and now all of a sudden you know i'm reaching out to people like you like experts in the mental health field and then it's like if it's just a symptom and i've been trying to cure symptoms my entire life no wonder it hasn't (laughs) gone away nearly as quick so when i started focusing on thought patterns or the trauma or other things like it's like relief started coming out and i know everybody's different but Mm. this is just my experience and I remember the very first time this happened was when I was in that mental health hospital in my mid-20s. Yeah. And I was taking all these meds that were trying to get medication right. And I had one of those like trauma release breakthroughs. I don't know how else to describe it. It felt like mm. a knot came untied. And I was like mm. on top of the world. Like all this weight came off me. And I was like, that's the yeah. antidepressant I want. I want more, <laughs> more of those yeah. trauma release kind of things, you know. And that's what kind of created this one whole life thing too, is like, have have mm-hmm. I been not, have people just not been honest with me or has the technology and the research just finally advanced to the point where we really know what's going on? Mm-hmm. Because I've, I've talked to a lot of therapists and a lot of them go, we don't know where a lot of this stuff comes from. We don't know the brain. The brain's yeah. as big of a mystery as the universe is. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. trying to figure it out. I, I, I think everybody is probably doing their best given, yeah. given a lot of different things that pull Western culture in a lot of different directions. Yeah. Um, my, I think in the West, we, we like to have, we focus on diseases and symptoms and on all these different things. And I think, one of the things that helps me is that I, I'm equally rooted sort of in science and in spirituality. Yeah. And I think it's the blending of both of those things that really like um, capture the experience of a whole human being and, 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 and physicality, sort of our, you know, our biology, like yep. nutrients and exercise, that kind of thing. But in terms of like the mind and spirit playing together, like I think it depends if you grow up in the West it's going to depend on on where you feel most comfortable. I think so. For some people, when we talk about when we when we look at um, their depression, we will. I will say, if it's a, if it's helpful for you, we can go back and look at some of the trauma or some of the past experiences that may have contributed in some way to idea like perceptions and ways of being and things like that, that have, that you have maybe just persisted and haven't been questioned along the way, like that can be helpful. But for, but if you don't want to do that, or if that doesn't feel helpful, we can also just start right in this moment and sort of say, 
what would life look like for you if it was, you know, beautiful? And, and the interesting thing is that for a lot of people, so many things have been taken off the plate that we mm. actually need permission and we need help reimagining what a big, free, beautiful life even looks like. So one of the things we might, you know, they might say, this is a beautiful life. And, and so we like, well, let's brainstorm further. What might that look like? And you're like, yeah. oh, God, I didn't even realize, like, I thought this was incredible. And it was really like, you know, not. Yeah. And so it's, it's A, putting everything back on the table and then just sort of saying, okay, great. So what, where are the obstacles to that life taking place? And then we literally sort of just like take them apart one by one. And maybe that leads back to the past. Maybe it has nothing to do with the past. And it's just them like, I'm going to add this in my life and stop thinking this way. Great. Yeah. Then, <laughs> so there isn't, there isn't, a, there isn't a set thing, but it, it's, I think, sort of having all of the options available and being able to sort of, um, so I, I just, you can't ever say for an individual what's going to move them forward, but hopefully what the what happens in in with either case is either a complete spontaneous you know like releasing of whatever that obstacle was and they're yeah. just able to move on or a massaging and an untangling of that obstacle that was there so that it can be released but the point is that the river of your life like has is meant to flow yeah. and you came into the world flowing and you'll go out of the world flowing and it's just what in the world has been put in your river yeah. to sort of not to not let you just be whooshing and evolving and doing whatever the heck you want to do. I love that. Like every 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 question we have, we go back to. I'm just trying to remind you that how awesome you are, <laughs> how infinite you yeah. are, and how powerful. <laughs> you know, like it. But it's. Yeah. I know it, it sounds so simple, but it's it's harder than you'd imagine. You know, like a, it's. Yeah, my spirituality yeah. started when, in science actually to the point where it's like well if the universe was the big bang right and the big bang happened everything in existence plowed out of the big bang that means yeah i existed at the beginning of the big bang in some different form and i've always used this like analogy mm. of plato right you can build a dog and a person and then you can mash them all back together and then it creates a bunch of right. things. So it's all plato right <laughs> yeah and like, so like that's where my initial spirituality came from you know i I grew up Catholic, mm -hmm. you know, and was mm -hmm. the opposite experience you had. Just like, oh, this is this is terrible. And then, yeah. so I was like one of those angry atheists for a long time. And then, like, science kind of got me back into it. And then I fell mm -hmm. into the the Buddhism thing because it made more sense than anything else. Was like, just try this. If it works, great. And if it doesn't, yeah. that's okay. Just just do. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, yeah. So I. So again, I'm just like, I'm happy <laughs> that like the consistency between everything you're doing, you're like, I know the path. This is where we're trying to get everyone back to. Here's 30, 40, 50, 100 different ways to get yeah. back there. And have you always done that with your practice or did that kind of develop over time? You know, I think, uh, like I said, I, I'm 51 right now and I, life is a, I, life is a really hard place. Yeah. It is way harder than they tell you. And I don't think it's something that you could be told um, and believe it early. It's one of those things, you know, that you have to sort of like go through it and experience each of these things to sort of, to understand that statement. And I think it, it just continues to be, it's, it's very hard and challenging. <laughs> I think the whole way through. And it is, it is beautiful 
and, yeah. and joyful. And I, uh, my dad passed away this year, this past year. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Uh, my mother, thank you. Uh, my mother passed away about 18 years ago. And so I, I'm sort of an orphan in terms of the, the parental <laughs> on this planet right now. And uh, I had COVID. I, um, what was the other thing? Um, oh, I got a divorce. <laughs> and each one of these, it's been a rough like year and a half. Yeah. And so the, but each one of these things sort of um, in, you know, you start to understand, like, I think teachings and the things you, you might know cognitively and are able to tell other clients what to do, even, even when you're not necessarily sure. I mean, that's a, that's a phenomenon of like being yeah. able to like, know this is true, even if you haven't nailed it for yourself, you right. know? <laughs> and I think, um, but through each of these experiences, it's an opportunity to really sort of go, whoa, okay, so who am I? And like, what, what is it that I really want in a relationship and not no regrets or shame around how it went, but like, what, what, who do I want to be as a human being and what do I get from this? Um, and being, having both your parents pass away, there's also this kind of, there was a, someone else said, you never really are truly your own being until both of your parents pass away. And I understand that in some way now because it, um, yeah, it's very existentially like bizarre to, even if you don't have a great relationship with them. And I had a pretty good relationship with mine, they are these wheels that are sort of your, your training wheels. And that, yeah. you know, one might fall off, but you're like, okay, I still got my dad. And then when the other goes off, you're like, what the, how does that? And, and uh, so uh, to your, to your question, I think um, it makes uh, these experiences sort of like make it a real, you a really good therapist. Was that the question? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. It, it was like, if you're, have you always had that point of reference um, in your practice? And it's right. It sounds like you're saying is that it it's constantly developing over time, and you might have it conceptually. <laughs> and that's is that that's what you're trying it. to say? Is conceptually, yeah, conceptually, I think I have I have had a sense of what it's supposed to look like, but as I get older, and because life is hard, and because that's an opportunity to really like if. If you take it, you know, I think a lot of us can just add each of those things to the like, to the pain bucket or to the like the suffering bucket. And if you can actually sort of say, what were you expecting? <laughs> of course, you're going to die. You're going to die. There's going to be suffering. You're going to have, you, you aren't going to nail every relationship you do. Like, you need to be able to expect as many shit shows as there are <laughs> like, yeah. beautiful things in life. And to see that, I think it's getting closer and closer to my life actually looking like the thing I hoped it would, um, that I've been seeing as possible. Um, but it's because of these things too. Uh, this is, you know, a, poets and scholars and people have said this way better and for thousands of years, but like, it's weird to sort of be living that and, and going, wow, I get how all of it, the good and the bad, yeah. come together to really create sort of a reality that syncs up with the experience that you're hoping for. And oftentimes our mind and our reality are so, are so separate right. that that in itself becomes a really conflicted way of being in this world. So Yeah. 
if that makes sense. <laughs> no, 100%. Like the, uh, I hope this doesn't sound dark, but do you think it's important for people to like remember or realize that, or just be told that, Hey, this isn't an infinite existence you're going to have in, in this reality of spiritual spirituality, like maybe like we don't mm. really know, but like if we're using that Plato analogy ahead, yeah, you're just going to go back into Plato and you might have yeah. <laughs> a frog's leg, DNA, you know, atoms or molecules. Yeah. Or but like <laughs> that, that's kind of why I named it. Like this one whole life thing is because um, I, I'm sure mm. you've heard of this, but there was that, um, nurse that talked to patients on their deathbed in Australia about the seven, there yeah. was like, yeah, there's there seven regrets. And it was so powerful right. to me to read that because as someone who's, you know, been suicidal and, you know, been kind of close into that space, I've, yeah. I almost see it now as a gift because it made me go, I definitely don't want to do that. I don't want to sit in an office. I don't want to do that full time. I don't want to do what yeah. help me. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I just knew what I didn't want to do. And now I'm just like, it's, very fulfilling for me, like talking to you and, and learning this type of stuff. And I don't think I would have had that gift mm. unless I, you know, real <laughs> had that reminder that this is, this is an infinite, you know, um, yeah. kind of a thing. I, I think it's, I think it's critical. Yeah. I think it's, it's actually one of my daily meditations is meditating on my death. Is it really? Yeah. And, and sort of, and sort of reminding myself that this all ends. Yeah. And that, and that I'm a finite being and that, and I, I too, I too have been suicidal and sort of there's a, um, hopefully, hopefully if you get through that and when you get through that, sort of having that reference point of being like, wow, that is a choice that, that, that is something that I, and an, and an option and, a and to sort of be like, to be with that a little bit and like, wow, okay. So what does that mean? What does that mean for me in my life? Um, And, 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 you know, not to like Pollyanna and be like, whoa, I need to go live my best life and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Just a very real way of, of sort of going, that was really hard. And this is what life looks like sometimes. And I, I can move through that and I can, and I, and I have a better understanding of who I am and what I want. And I don't know, it's just sort of, um, I see us as like these big, beautiful, like gems and, and experiences like that push you into the dark corners and you sort of go, Oh, I'm bigger than I thought over here. (laughs) You're pushed into this other thing. Here's my divorce. And then here's my parents dying. And here's this, and it sort of, it begins over a lifetime. You begin to really get a sense of who and what you are and you're thankful for those in some ways. It's a weird thing to say, but you can, at some point you can kind of, once you move through that darkness, it can be a point of gratitude for sort of saying, thank you for helping me see my fullness. Um, it's also a phenomenon, I think, m- mostly in Western culture too, that are always happy, always like, yeah. Um, and I, I sort of have tried to switch the word over for myself to like contentedness. Mm. which doesn't have sort of a happy or a sad piece to it, but it has a, it has a quiet contentedness with like letting sadness come in. And like, that's part of my experience and letting happiness come in, you know, but as you know, like Buddhists sort of say, don't get, it's easy to not get attached to the bad thing, (laughs) but we don't want to get attached to the good things either because it all sort of comes and goes. And can you, can you be so 
okay with the phenomenon of life that you go, you go with the sad when it comes, but, and you go with the happy when it comes, but then you come back to this place of like, ah, I'm in life. I'm in life. Isn't it all there? Isn't this all it? Yeah. That was actually the hardest part of, so I did, I did a year of Zen meditation and I just, I, I remember you yeah, saying yeah, just so down, cool. down the rabbit hole. Right. And that was one of the hardest things for me to even wrap my head around was not to have attachment. And I did it in the sense where I was like, don't get attached to the happy things. But what I was doing and I noticed that I was, I just was limiting how happy I was in those moments too. I was like, no, and I just wasn't at all. And I realized <laughs> months later that I, I can enjoy those moments fully yeah. and I just don't have to hold on to them. And I was trying to just not, you know, don't be happy. Almost the same. I was like, don't be sad. Don't be depressed. Yeah. Don't be happy. Don't be joyful. And, yeah. and that attachment piece was like, Oh my God, I can enjoy this. Almost like I can eat this, you know, whatever, if you like cake, I can eat this cake and then, you know, enjoy it and then it's gone and then I can still enjoy yeah. it. I don't have to go buy another cake <laughs> afterwards. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, we would go to Costco and be like, I must preserve this cake moment and have 20 cakes ready, you <laughs> yeah, know? Right. <laughs> Yeah, could you imagine? The fridge just full of cakes. I just like yeah. cake that much. <laughs> I'm sure there are people who Yeah. Yeah, that was... How did, oh, I'm sorry. I, I was, was going to say, like, that That experience is so impressive and powerful um, to me. And I... How did you... Or, like, are there ways that you, like, kind of keep yourself in that place of not making it conceptual, but having it be more lived... For you, you know, where you're like, I can be, I can feel this happiness. I can feel this thing and not have it be like, don't be happy. Don't be sad. Yeah. It, it's hard for me. <laughs> I, yeah. Like from, from this whole project I'm doing, um, I think I've been told, or I got the message ever since I was a kid that depression is bad. Don't be sad. Don't, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it might, and I'm, I'm still exploring it. Did it come from my parents? Did it come from society? Did it come from therapists? Did it come from school? Yeah. You know? And maybe I was just a sensitive kid and I'm, I'm don't have those answers yet, but that's why I keep yeah. asking you these questions. Um, yeah. So trying to avoid sadness is, seems to be this pattern in me. And so mm. as you were saying, leaning into the darkness now, um, like the other day, I forgot what show we were watching. Oh, we were watching the office with my wife. Right. And, and yeah. not as, not a show you usually cry at, but it was this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, Michael left like the show and you're, yeah. and I just remember, getting emotional over it because we loved that show and you could just see Steve Carell just loved the cast and loved being there Mm. and everything. And then I could, I immediately saw my thoughts going, don't, don't cry. Don't cry. Don't have this emotion, you know, kind of be tough. Mm. And I, and I was able to just go, no, man, this is, this is beautiful. Like this guy has this tribe, this family he's been with and he's leaving the show and you can genuinely see yeah fake that he's leaving he's experiencing that and then i like cried in front of my wife and that's been really hard for me to do you know yeah right but i like i let it happen and then she was crying too because like she's has i I always joke that she has better emotional intelligence than i do so like we're both just crying and i she didn't judge me and it was like this beautiful moment by letting myself be vulnerable there and so when i i seem to practice there and then I've had this, like, I was trying to figure out the meaning of life, kind of like you are in in a way. And I got to this point where it was just like, life's just meant to be experienced. And that was 
like mm. the sentence that kind of defined this. All right, how do I? Can I challenge that? Is there a way to to challenge to challenge that? And I've been trying to challenge yeah. it for ten years, and I haven't broken it yet. Because, mm. um, so so I use that when I go. Oh, this is this is one of those moments, and I can yeah have awareness in the moment instead of try try to save it if that makes any sense. And then it yeah. allows me to experience it fully in the moment. And then when it's over, there's like gratitude that, Oh, I just had that instead of trying mm-hmm. to hold on to it. Like I used to. And yeah. The, and so meditating every morning helps me with that. If I miss a day, then things don't go very well, but it helps create space yeah. between the experience and my thoughts where I just have a moment or two, like very quick to like, to grab it, I guess, or to, to sit, yeah. in, sit in awareness. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that. I love the, the concept of like a daily practice. Yeah. Just because I, you know, I, um, I, I work with a lot of kids. Um, and so a messy room is sort of a, a good metaphor for them. And I say, <laughs> you know, you clean your room and it isn't, it doesn't just stay that way. Like the next day there's a t-shirt on the ground. You left a cup over on the sink and there's a thing. And I said, this is the nature of our minds and this is the nature of our bodies as well. Like why wouldn't we need to pay attention to this and to maintain it on a regular basis, like set aside time where we're really paying attention to like, Whoa, where's, what's my mind like today? Sometimes it wakes up like a, a windy hurricane and other times it's like just a smooth kind of whatever, but checking in with that and paying attention to that and same for our bodies. And I think in the, in the West, again, we sort of, uh, we like thing we like extremes and we like things to be like, we want to do what we want to do. And then if there's some way that'll get us to what we really know is going to be better, we would just want to easy, you know, a pill or a, a strategy or a diet or something instead of sort of paying attention to this idea that like, no, I'm sorry to say, and and happy to say it's an ongoing process of always paying attention to yourself. And that ends up being the gift that ends up being the path through which you navigate this world and understand what's in your way. Yeah. Um, That I I got that message through skydiving actually. Or in, in mountain biking, so I did all these crazy sports, right? And yeah. what I realized, I what I liked most about them was they forced me to be in the moment. You know, yeah. like you you can't think; you just yes. have to, you have to react, or your or I bad bet. things are gonna yeah. So uh, yeah, mountain biking, you're gonna hit a tree, skydiving, you're gonna like forget to pull your shooter, slam into somebody or something. And pole vault yeah. was like that for a long time too. And I wow. that that's how like the Buddhism. Th- or the, I, I call it a year of Zen. That's how that kind of started for me. It was mm. like, how do I get there without having to jump out of a plane? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that was kind of the, the, <laughs> the, the trick. And it, it's been kind of wild because I can go to a six-year-old's birthday party and it feels like I jumped out of a plane now. Like you can have that experience. Yeah. And yeah, like, how do you, <laughs> do, do you experience things like that at all too? Like, I know you're a master meditator. We'll call you uh, too. The, the <laughs> no, back no, yeah, I know. I'm just, I don't <laughs> know if you ever right. figure it out. Like the longer you go, yeah. you're like, oh crap. Um, but yeah. like, how do you, how do you see the nature of the mind? Like, do you, like a, a big tweak in my brain was like, um, you're not your thoughts, you're what watches your thoughts, right? So mm-hmm. w- 
what, how do you see like what the mind is doing? Cause it always feels like you're fighting it in some way, shape or form, but it, it's gotta be doing something good <laughs> for you at the same time too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, um, there's so many good people that write and talk about this. I think the first, I mean, my first encounter with it was uh, Michael Singer's book, The Untethered Soul. That's a great book, yeah. And where, you know, he talks about the roommate in your head and this yeah. and that. It was one of the, I was like, what? And then it, and then he literally wrote something like, at this point, your, your roommate has just said what? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> and uh, and it, beginning to sort of untangle from your mind as yourself, um, and then I, there have been lots of things that have sort of like continued to do that. But I think the, that idea of, you know, it's, I'm milking this jewel metaphor, but like, if you, like in a jewel, that book was one facet. And yeah. then, the, you know, maybe I did a retreat that was this facet and the program that this was this facet. I don't know if any one thing could sort of break through. Maybe for, for some people, they read one thing and they're like, yeah. <laughs> for me that's not the case I've had to sort of like hit it from a lot of different angles and Buddhism has been the primary the primary thing that I sort of have felt the most I've gotten the most from in terms of that but all these things have begun to paint a picture of myself as this this consciousness or this thing that is sort of like quiet and um at rest and contented always yeah and and that i am in a human body and i have a human mind and that these are really beautiful tools and it's the difference from being seated in that place of what in it on a great day i am i am paying attention to this moment only and i am there is no problem I'm getting a tattoo uh, soon that just says there is no problem because that's one of the things where there is no problem. And there literally is just life. How you beautifully said it. We're just like the goal is to experience that. And so from that place, I'm just, I'm in my life. I'm like loving my dog next to me right now. I'm having a beautiful conversation with you. And this is where I am right now in this moment. And if I needed to, if you were like, hey, what was this memory or this thing? I go to my brain. Oh, that's right. I have a resource. Let me recall that. Yeah. And I go and I think about it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it was this and this and this. Thanks, brain. I come back into my body and, my, and just sort of I'm like I'm back in this sense of just being with you. Yeah. And I think that that has been – it's a way of not sort of discounting anything. Like I remember – I, I had a therapist once and I was like, do you know anywhere I can get a lobotomy? Because I, <laughs> I, and they, and they were like, they were a beautiful. And I, I actually got this tattoo of a, it's a mongoose. I don't know if you could see it yeah. on my arm. And, and she said, no, 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 no. She said, you got it all wrong. She was like, yes, the brain drives you crazy. She's like, but you have to be friends with it. It, it really is just trying to protect you. It oversteps time and time and time again. It's crazy that way. But it's a really amazing gift. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, one of the, one of the beautiful, or the, hopefully the things that we can do is in, in therapy and different things is to help people see all of it as, as part, of the, part of the plan and part of the program. Yeah. No, not program, maybe, but part of, part of like how we live our lives and to love all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, your crazy mixed up brain that 
thinks it needs to run your life and that you yeah. associate with way more than you should. Um, this beautiful consciousness that you really are, and then this body that you have, and how do we take care of all of these things? But you know, it, it gets simpler and simpler and simpler. I think the more you dive into it, and yet we're addicted to like complicated, like the complicated pieces of it, and and by real trauma and by real things that happen to us that are that take us off a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that I, I had to ask just because you've been down this road for way longer than I have, and I mean you're you're doing it right, like you're you're getting kids to start early, you know, like in yeah, it's yeah. it's fascinating, you know, but and but separating that is so powerful, you know, and I don't I because when I started talking openly about my my mental health in the past i would get messages from people that said the same thing you did like how do i turn it off why yeah. isn't it doing this and you're like i've yeah. tried to do that too you, you, you can <laughs> but you know you can yeah. use the cloud analogy where their thoughts are flying through and you can watch them and they're like i don't want to watch any clouds right now like they're right. in a state where they just want it to end you know so right. if, if somebody's brain is is that active do you have any tips that you tell them in that moment where they can get some some relief you know it, uh, something someone said to me once was um again not mind-blowing but yeah. uh it takes years and years and years to kind of create the the mental storms that are going on in our heads. And for us to think that over a weekend retreat or, a, or something else, like the whole thing's going to just clear and you're going to have this amazingly, you know, you know, I understand the nature of being all of a sudden <laughs> and all the time and I never have a thought again. It's just not going to happen. Right. And so I think one of the things is to just be really gentle with yourself and, and to understand sort of like, I have, I have, you know, not often anymore, but I still have meditative sessions that are like, oh, what should I have for dinner tonight? Oh, I need to get those groceries. And oh, <laughs> that. oh, no, oh my gosh. Oh, did I forget to do that? Oh, and the whole, you know, like a 30 minutes or an hour can be my mind going crazy. Yeah. And I think part of it is to, one of the powerful things about having a, a teacher or other people that you're meditating with or groups or whatever that is, is to not do this alone. I often was like, well, the Buddha did it alone. Or like, I'll think of a, a spiritual figure and be like, they did it alone. I'm going to do it alone. And it's, we're not meant to do this alone. We're, we're meant to sort of be in communion with each other and to sort of sit with each other and have an hour of complete horrifying meditation to yourself <laughs> and then sit down the next day and do the same thing and sit down this next day and do the same thing. And, it, and over time, it, it goes away. You yeah. start to go, oh, that was that voice and this is the calm. And you're like, ah. And so, I, again, it's sort of... Um, if we can learn to sort of like love and accept where we are right now in that moment, I think that's one of the most powerful things in, in therapy as well is to sort of show up with people exactly where they are. They don't have to change a thing. And you're like, let's just get curious about where you are and have an idea of where you'd love to be maybe. And then let's, let's play with that. There's no, you know, there's no rush. There's no whatever. Like the point is just knowing yourself and being able to love everything there is about that. Even the 
the dark spots and the things that haven't gone well. And, and we can, like you said, with the, you know, with um, office, the, <laughs> there's, there's moments where we're just going to sob yeah. and, and you're like, yeah, that's what there is to do right now. And you're just, I'm just going to sob. And you're like, great. Yeah. And then there's moments where you're like, oh, I feel so free. You're like, oh, that's so great. And then the next day you're like, I feel like I lost everything. You're like, mm, okay, it's okay. Yeah. Now and now what? And now what? And now what? It gets, it gets. I, I hate the word better, but like it, there is a, there's a clarity that can't help but find its way into that kind of life, yeah. that keeps looking and keeps and keeps allowing, um, and not judging and blaming yourself for how it's going, but just being with what's actually there. Yeah. That makes yeah. that makes a lot of sense. You know, I've I got my master's in biomechanics and ex phys, exercise physiology, and I, I, I yeah, I get the sense that you know people think well, the same thing happens with the body. They want to go work out for one week and then think they're going to be jacked, and you know, it takes time. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I think, <laughs> I, and I don't know if it's just Western culture or not, but a lot of people I've run into, it seems it's a similar idea or mindset with the mind too. Like I should go to therapy once and everything should be fixed. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. Or you take this magic pill and you can, everything's going to be great. And it's not ever right. how that works, you know? And that's why right. like, I appreciate having this conversation because it's just so honest that it probably won't be better in one session one day. You know, that's very unlikely (laughs) and giving people realistic expectations, I think is extremely helpful. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and being, I think it's a, it's a very serious question to sort of say, do you really want to know what you are? Mm. You really want to know sort of how, how you operate and a lot of people don't want to really know that. Really? I think that, you run into that a lot? Like, Well, I see that a lot in the okay. world. I think people who yeah. come to therapy are already in the conversation of, gotcha. I want to know more. Yeah. But I, in, in the world, you see a lot of people completely wanting to remain ignorant of like how, what is actually going on with them. And they're usually the loudest people about like what's wrong out here. Uh-huh. Not to say there isn't a lot wrong <laughs> a lot a lot that feels discordant in our world like there are plenty of things to feel scared and anxious about and etc and it begins with us right yeah. it, it even in all of that it begins with us and i think there are tons of people not wanting to ask that question so for me when you get in pursuit of that question like what am i really or who am i really and, and how do i work that it begins an unraveling that if you stay in that question, you will get there and it's going to be a rocky, crazy, horrifying, beautiful path. (laughs) (laughs) But that question, it has to be, you have to be dedicated to that question. And I think that's a really beautiful way to live your life in that question. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, yeah. Do you think it's fear of like facing your own death or just, your life's going to be completely different and not predictable anymore. Or, or you might see some part of yourself that you're like, Oh frick, I hate that in other people. And there it is in me kind of. An <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe yes. Maybe yes to all of yeah, that. Maybe. I was you know, depending curious. on the person. Yeah. Uh, I, I think um, it's, it's, 
I guess what are people really, afraid of, you know, like what, what is it's it? scary. It's scary taking responsibility. I think mm. for people uh, that their life looks how it looks um, because of them, mm. our, our life, our lo- my life is exactly what it looks like because of how I'm living my life and right. my views and my, not to say that people haven't helped me left and right. Like, of course it is that way. But for me, I'm meaning more sort of like my internal experience of my world. A lot of, I think we love to have something else to blame. Mm. My dad, my mom died when I was 30. Um, I didn't get the education I wanted or um, I, um, whatever happens to be there. and, And I don't, I don't, I don't want to, this is dicey water. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say that, that, that trauma and different things don't impact our lives. Um, but that's uncomfortable to look at too, though. Right. But it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to look at that. And it's, it can be one of those things that we, that you have to then unpack a little bit so that someone can sort of feel like they're back in the seat of their own power. Mm, okay. But my point being is that we are always the seat of our own power in some way it's also not uh, uh, i mean systemic racism misogyny all these different elements in our society that absolutely keep people down all things being equal yeah i'm talking more about sort of the internal experience of how we interact with life okay we can often use all of these different things to um to suffer yeah. Uh, you know, to, su- to suffer in ways that we don't have to be suffering right. um, and to realize that we have far more power in our lives over how we experience that life than we ever give ourselves credit for. Gotcha. Instead of letting that thing run us, there are so many other things running us most of the time that if we can get in, if we can get in contact with those things and sort of be with those, it gives us a different kind of power and a different way of experiencing life. Hmm. I hope that comes across the right way. No, totally. It, and, and in a respectful way to sort of all of the elements that are real, that are real barriers to people living free lives in our world. Yeah. Absolutely acknowledging all of that. Yeah. And, and there's a responsibility that we have to take for, for what we, how we are living our lives and, and interacting with those experiences that move us forward. So it's kind of like the, I forgot, I forgot who said this too, but it's like you have the power and the choice right to to decide how you interact with whatever life gives to you and how you give yeah. back to it like you and i didn't create racism it's there it's not fun but like how we respond to it that's where our true power comes in and is that kind of what you're saying that's a perfect example uh, especially as um as white men right um as a white person like one of the things like I have to look at my own privilege. I have to look at my, the responsibility is on me. Correct. And if I make a conversation out here about all these other elements, the conversation is who am I going to be and how am I going to be different now that I know this? Correct. Like where is my responsibility in this? And I think a lot of people, we get afraid of how much responsibility that we have for all of these different things. That's a very ominous idea. The fact that, oh, wow, I directly contribute to racism regularly. 
yeah. <laughs> in my in my privilege, in how I interact with with people, in the things I don't say, and the and the things that I do, mm-hmm. I I am directly in it. Yeah, and and I have something I have to do differently, and yeah. so that's been a conversation I've been in more you know more recently in the past year and a half around that. Oh, yeah, same. And the list goes on. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, and I in in a. Yeah, but and it goes down to like the littlest, littlest things. Yeah, you know, it's, like, it's it's your book, right? <laughs> I just keep shifting through them. Everything's connected, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Everything is connected, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, I I hate to shift gears on you, but I don't I don't want to run out of time. No. I have to hear about how you got into the to creating the autism centers. Like mm. I was I was blown. Like how where did that come from, and and how did you start that? Um, that like sort of randomly um i was i was um i'd just come out of school and at college and i was coming i was living, working in minneapolis and i ran out of skills uh for what i was doing, <laughs> yeah. doing psychology i was starting to work with um adults with uh with some mental illnesses major mental illnesses and I ran out of skills. So I came to Colorado to do a master's program in counseling psychology. Okay. And while I was doing that, I um, got a job at, at a uh, home for uh, adolescents that were struggling with behavioral issues. And I didn't like, I didn't like the politics of the organization there. And so I was looking for another job and I applied in Denver public schools. And the, at the time schools were going through a huge shortage of teachers and they could give emergency teaching licenses to people who looked qualified or seemed like a good bet. I'm yeah. like, this seems like a crazy thing. <laughs> but I applied for a paraprofessional job in one of these classes, so like a teaching assistant job. And when I walked in, they said, the teacher just quit. Do you want to teach this class? And I was like, can you do that? And they're like, yeah, we can do that. I was like, sure. Wow. That's more- <laughs> this seems great. And it was a class of kids with autism and developmental disabilities, primary, but primarily autism. And, um, and so the beauty of that was, so I was getting a counseling psychology degree. I had to, I had to simultaneously enroll in a special education degree. So I was working on two master's degrees and teaching full time in a class of kids with autism. (laughs) Wow. And the, but the beautiful thing about that was I didn't know, I hadn't had a lot of training in it. And so I was having to really sort of like go with my gut and go with if what, what is the experience of this kid? You know, how, how are they experiencing the world and how might I meet them in that place that's different? And I think um, not having the training beforehand ended up being this really beautiful access point because I didn't come in sort of like, here's what my training tells me I should do about you. I actually just met that kid exactly where they were and was kind of like, I know nothing about this and let's all get curious and sort of like figure this out together. So we started working together and our, our program started getting some notoriety for doing some different things and for really um, making an impact for kids in ways where they were like, this kid will never speak. This kid will never do these things. And they started to move in these directions past what wow. people expected. Yeah. And I ended up finishing that degree. And there were parts of the school that I was like, this is not relevant to real life. And parts of it that were really relevant and awesome, like a lot of programs. And uh, 
and then in about nine years in, one of our uh, or seven years in, one of our students passed away at home, and his name was Joshua. And he, th- I, th- I think there was his one med was going up, and one med brought his blood pressure down, and I think he was a small little boy, and it inconclusive, but there was something happened where he couldn't be revived. And we came in the next day and it was one of those moments where you, you don't quite know how to process something like that. Yeah. And we had been, we had been complaining about, you know, oh, if we ran our own school, we would do it this way. If we had, we, if we kept, if we called the shots, we would do it this way. And in that moment we said, you know what, if a kid has nine years on this planet, they deserve better than what's happening in the public school systems right now. And we are going to quit bitching about this and we're going to create the school that we think could maybe do something different. Yeah. And so we spent the next two years um, after school and on weekends planning curriculum, planning, you know, (laughs) bake sales and whatever you do to sort of create, have a nonprofit go into this thing. And, um, and two years later, we quit our jobs, cashed in our retirements, and started wow. this school, hoping it would work. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, so it was this. It was this wild kind of um, a catalyst of, and then trying to do something different, and then the rest kind of. It, you know, one thing. Another thing I'll say is that um, people heard we were doing this in Denver metro area. And I remember being at a conference and one of the special ed directors came up to me and said, Hey, can I have lunch with you? I would love to talk about your new school. And I was like, Oh, sure. What a sweet invitation. And I walked into this room and I would say about 15 special ed directors from around the city, the district, all the different districts were there. And they were like, you will not get a single student from any of our districts. They said, this is your idea for this school is exclusionary. We are, we are teaching in our schools and we're doing just fine. You will never get one of our kids. And we just want you to know that. And I was like, wow. I, I was sweating and so sick to my stomach and just like, wow, this is happening. And I, and I somewhere found the courage to say, you know, in your hearts that there is a kid, there are two kids, there are 20 kids that you are not serving. And that you are not doing what's what's possible. And I said, my request would be that you would give that kid a chance at our school, give one or two kids a chance at our school and see, and let's share information. Let's figure this out together. And I said, that's my request to you. And they stood up and they walked out and they said, not a kid. Wow. And over the 10 years that I ran that school, every single school district had put a kid at that school um and i and i think it was because we never we never said anything bad about the public schools yeah i think you know those are systems that sort of work within um the constraints that they're put in and they are huge bureaucratic machines that just are not able to actually meet kids where they're at a lot of the time yeah and but they saw what we were doing and they saw that we were having results in the same way that we did before looking at the kid as perfect when they came in that the, uh, sorry, I don't know how much time we have left, but no, I, I, I mean, we can, we can keep going if you want to, but I just didn't, I want to be respectful of your time. So uh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm Okay. okay. My next book is called, um, 
it's it's in the works to find a publisher here, but it's called It's All Made Up. And it's this idea that when kids would come into our school, that they came in exactly how they were supposed to. There was nothing wrong. And this is really true of any of us. The only reason anything we do sort of seems wrong is when you compare it to an expectation of what it's supposed to be. Yeah, is that Mark so Twain, could, right? Yeah. <laughs> Ex- expectations are the death of joy. Isn't that what he says? <laughs> yeah, yes, I love that saying. <laughs> and they, and so when, if you view a kid that way, that there, again, there is no problem. As they come in, there's simply a kid that comes in and we get to have a conversation around like, what is what does life look like that looks really beautiful for you? What would a beautiful life look like for this kid, for their family, et cetera? And you start there. And then you start looking at all the weird things our world does, you know, and it expects of us um, stopping at red octagons with white squiggles, you know, shaking our hands when we're greeting someone as we go by uh, freaky, weird things that make no sense that we all just wake up every day and agree to over and over again. Um, Anyway, it was a very human, a very human and a very kind a very science-driven and data-driven, um, it was a combination of really, I don't know, of thoughtfulness that went into that school that I think when you approach things from that place, they become unmessable with yeah. in some way because the results of that are not about illusion. Right. Um, and they're not about, and they're, and they're about real people. Yeah. Um, Anyway, sorry, I, I think I went off. No, on that. that <laughs> I, I would. You pulled me in. Like, it's it's funny because I have a I have a family member. I think I talked to you in, in an email a little bit about this, but um, uh, this this friend is struggling to get her daughter diagnosed with with autism. Like, she's been stimming since she was a mm-hmm. kid, and we didn't know what it what it was. We thought she had breathing issues, you know. And then later, we mm-hmm. find out that oh, she's stimming. And then, you know, you try to stop it because you're like, it must be hurting her. And then you find out, yeah. I had a, f- a friend who um, has has autism and she's like, no, stimming is a, a beautiful thing. Let her do it. Don't ever stop someone from stimming. Mm-hmm. It's their experience. And it was like, oh, mm. wow. So then, you know, when we ask that question, now, now we ask her, we go, what does that feel like? She's like, oh, it's this like, tickle it feels really good you know like why would we want to stop a tickle you know (laughs) that's how she described it um but we we didn't know right off off the bat because she's she's higher on the 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 spectrum so she like everything else is normal but she has she stims and you know she's showing some other qualities but she was worried about putting her into school because she's like well if we put her into school she might be put on this, you know, special needs program right off the bat and then be behind the rest of her life. So she, like, my friend's struggling to try and figure out how do we navigate that? And it sounds like it was some of the issues you were dealing with when you were in there too. Like maybe the the school Mm -hmm. system's not the best place for somebody like that. Um, And, but Mm -hmm. on the other side, you know, you want to give her the help she needs at the same time. So yeah, I know it doesn't help my situation or my friend's situation, but it sounds like you created a place that solved all of that, which is beautiful. Or you most know, of I, it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I worry about grandeur. As yeah, too same, much. same like, too. But it sounds like a a, a great place. It, it 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 is it is. Yeah, it's an amazing place, and it and I 
I think that, you know, testimonials that kind of come out of, out of that school sort of speak to having high expectations for kids and like helping meeting kids where they're at, et cetera. I think in a situation like that, you know, this is a little bit of a, a too big of a conversation for our setting right now, but like it, <laughs> it speaks to the educational system in some way. And I, you know, like the need for kind of an, an overhaul of, of what it really means to have, to set a human up for a human life. Right. And what, what exactly do we need to, if we have kids from when they're four or five up to 18, like what is it really that like, as humans, we need um, to kind of navigate this world. And I think it's a lot, it's very, very different from what we give kids. And so being able to meet them where they are, one of my favorite expressions that came from it was um, fair isn't fair. Doesn't mean equal fair means people getting what they need. Hmm. And that, and so I think to be fair to people is, you know, a school system would need to be a lot more nimble than it is. And being able to sort of say, these are the impacts that are playing on different people. And how do we help accommodate for those things? And then what, do we, what are these ways that we help set them up for a beautiful life that they get to step into and, and decide for themselves? Um, I wish that school system existed for, for this um, child that you're talking about. Because right now there isn't a great, I don't think private schools necessarily, or even sort of independent schools that maybe have fewer kids or fewer opportunities for social st stuff or, or different things like that, they don't always nail it either. And mm -hmm. I don't think a public school is maybe being personal or tailored enough to nail a lot of the things there. And so it will often be a conglomeration of, of things. Um, it's, almost like the larger need, it's almost like you need a college, right? Or they go to and they learn the skill in this building and, you know, the skill in this or, or something similar. Because um, I got my yeah. undergrad in education and yeah. through my student teaching, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> that was yeah. my experience was how <laughs> like political <laughs> it was. And like, I wanted to make an impact in kids' lives. And I was like, I, there's got to yeah. be, I think I can do this outside of this box they're trying to put yeah. us in. And yeah. so I, I can 100% relate to everything you're saying here. And yeah, I mean, we, we can, like you said, we can go down the rabbit hole on how like the school system taught people how to be on assembly lines and it hasn't really updated since then, right? Yeah, right. And now we like, I've had this conversation with my, with my niece because she's like, how do I, how do I be a vlogger or how do I create videos for people and like yeah where do i learn that and i was like i'll teach you because i had to figure it out myself but like school makes it hard to be an yeah. entrepreneur or something like that too you know and as yeah. you're saying we're in a world where with the internet at disposal everyone can essentially create anything that you, their mind can come up with now yeah and and i have to say you know there are of course there are incredible teachers yes, that are yes, doing yes. some of the things we're talking about, you know, yes. that are it's sort of microcosms of this incredible new, this new vision that isn't sustained, that sort of isn't in the larger manifestation of that yet. But yeah, like the, I, I have, I have a couple of kids right now who are like, I want to just do homeschool with the internet because I feel like it's more relevant to me and my life and my interests. Yeah. If I had some system that would help me do this and you're like, okay, well, but the social piece or this piece, 
But in some ways I run up against those arguments. I'm like, I don't have a good argument. (laughs) I actually actually think, I think you're right. And, you know, and so like, where, where is this new paradigm that will kind of recognize what we're heading into and that we are not, there is no chance we are not heading into the, the technological world that we all sort of fear slash are enchanted by. It is where we are going. Uh, and so how do you, yeah. But that's anyway, why, that's why I love what you're doing, though, is because you're giving the kids, I, I don't want to say belief because belief sounds something you learn, but the awareness that they have the power to do, to create that, even if it doesn't exist yeah. yet. And, and, and that's mm-hmm. sort of what happened to me, you know, where I was like, I, I got a master's degree that I'm not using. Well, I, I'm kind of using it. I mean, I always use it. Everything's connected, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But uh, I, I'm not using it in the traditional sense. And it's, yeah, I, th- I think I, I just created a, a career for myself. And I think a lot of kids yes. are at that place now where I have Etsy or I have Amazon or I have all these other things they can tie into or just yeah make something but the part that i i keep thinking about is that social part whether kids think it's important or not like i i personally do i consider myself like an introvert to to the most part but man i i did like going to college and in high school and seeing those same friends in every class and then when that ended it was kind of like how do you be an adult where do you find your tribe now? <laughs> you know, which is a whole yeah. different conversation. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, that one of the, th- I mean, to talk about, bring it back to the Joshua school a little bit. Why isn't, why don't we talk about more about how friends are created Yeah, or how, where we, where we find these things as we go through life or the importance of community or studying sort of like how, how community across as you age, like means something, you know, to the elderly or to the youth or to like different things like that. Maybe it's touched on momentarily in a sociology class in 11th grade, but it's not, it's not like a core part of, and this is a core part of our lives. Yeah. But we're, instead we're learning about Anne Frank. <laughs> looking for friendship and connection and authenticity with people and conversations that mean something. And my God, like, I put me out of a job because that's going so good that I would love that, you know, (laughs) but we don't, we don't teach people about some of these core things. Um, The other, I mean, like I can look up the capital of Maine on the internet if I need it. I don't need to memorize that. Great. We just saved this amount of time. I don't need to learn about this piece. Like I think there are things that we can begin to sort of like put ourselves in the shoes of someone else to sort of say, what is really important Um, and, and we're teaching kids how to access it. It, We don't quit asking questions because we're not like told to do it in school. We're human beings. This is what we do. We ask questions. We go out into the world and um, anyway. No, no, you're, you're right. It's (laughs) like, but by sparking these questions and if kids have access to the internet, maybe that'd be a way for them to self-educate in, in a way too, you know, which yeah, the connection pieces, I mean, we'd have to do a whole nother podcast because that, that's something I don't think people talk about nearly enough is just yeah. whether it's connection with themselves or others or, you know, j- just life in general. It seems like there's a lot of disc- disconnect that you see a lot, which is cr- causing a lot of pain for people. But, you know, that I think that is 
there's something that's sort of similar between generations. I think like anytime a new generation is coming along and new things are coming in, there is this, um, the blessing of our era is always, is always the curse of the era in some way too. And so it's like, how does that, how does it play out over time? And I think one thing we are seeing because of internet and, you know, video games and different things like that is there is so much more internal their time inside and time by ourselves and isolation. And then COVID just made it like hooked on steroids times 20. Um, and yet people are finding community within that, you know, whether on, on like discord or, you know, these different places where kids can, well, kids and adults, anyone can kind of like connect in that way. Sometimes that's a really beautiful thing. It's places where kids that weren't connecting at all, are now actually playing in the world of communication and playing in the world of like saying the wrong thing and having to mend that and doing different things. That's actually a really beautiful thing. Yeah. I think sometimes if that's where it ends and they're, and they're wanting something deeper and more connected, there's the hindrance on that piece. So it's, we have to be careful not to demonize, you know, there's the ones who are like, Oh, video games are killing our youth. Yeah. <laughs> It, it isn't that simple. None of it's everything is always sort of like this flip side, and it's it's really being able to find the balance and find and gray, find what right? human life looks good. You yeah, know, and, it, it's like it's the gray, right? Like it, it seems it's easy to yeah. polarize technology, right? But yeah, I don't. I've I've tried to talk to like uh, my my parents about this, and it's like, well, a knife isn't bad. You know, the kid could use it in a bad. It's a tool, so you just gotta yeah. teach the kid how to use the tool. You know, they could yeah yeah you know, murder a cat or, <laughs> you know, they, or, they, right. or, or you know right. build a house or or, a, or, or yeah <laughs> make make a birdhouse out of it or something. You know? But, yeah, you know right. But, yeah. Um, Man, we're we're at ninety. I, I, can I ask you like one more question, if if that's yeah, right? yeah. Um, so so with this autism school, did you have ranges from like severely autistic to people on like higher up on the spectrum, or how how did you navigate that and have like classrooms with that? Yeah. So, the this model was really, uh, and we yeah we had kids from actually I think two and a half. So it was a preschool through oh, 21. Really? Okay. And then we had, and then we had kids that were, uh, who had some pretty significant, um, autism and up to kids that were, uh, with Asperger's syndrome or, um, just had that symptoms, symptoms that were sort of less intense okay. than that for sure. So a wide range of, of kids that came in and, um, our classrooms were never bigger than four to six kids. Wow. And so that was sort of, it isn't, I'm not sure if it's a scalable or sustainable, something that could be done, like, but not every, not every kid needs that. Again, mm. it's back to that fair as kids getting what they need. Mm. I think when there are kids that require an environment and systems that are really structured and staff intense to be able to kind of bridge something. Uh, it's, you know, for most of those kids, that level of intensity isn't required for the entire time they're in school from like from five to 18, but it's required to sort of help them get a structure and to understand what the expectation is because that's a, they, are, they are engaging with the world in a very different way. And they, and they are not reinforced and they don't pick up things by just watching it or the small little reinforcements that the schools give. There's a 
we have to work in a very specific way to kind of move them through it, you know, and to have them not force them through it, but move them through it, you know, at their own comfort, et cetera. So you use it as a so, tool essentially instead of yeah. a cure or, or however else, or I, that's the wrong word, yeah. but you know what I mean? Not like a last place you're going to be. This is a tool to help it's you. A, it's a resource for a finite amount of time okay. until a child is able to kind of, again, here's that larger conversation of like the, yeah. if the educational, the educational system needs to be far better than it is. But at some point you would hope that you could go, oh, okay, I think that kid's ready to enter this really beautiful educational system in this way now that we've created together. Um, there are a couple kids that will need that level of intensity maybe their whole life. Okay. Um, a couple, you know, in, in a population of, you know, this. But I don't know. The, it goes into other conversations there's just sort of like greed and money and and how what what it's all based on and tax brackets and how to pay. <laughs> yeah, the, the perks whole, of the, starting a business screwy <laughs> thing you yeah. know that's like um back to sort of the what we started with at the beginning a little too is just like I, ju I just got this uh, sweatshirt that says people over profits. <laughs> and it's um, if we can remember that, like what everything that we are trying to do, it, it would be my hope that we're trying to do it so that people on this planet have a beautiful life that, yeah. so that every person on this planet is able to sort of feel content, to, to feel taken care of, to feel that they can, they have enough of their needs met and enough of the skills taught and opportunities given to them that they can reach that next potential when you're not worried about surviving all the time. And that that contributes to a better planet for all of us if we let people get to that place. And so that's, that's the goal in education it, yeah. for me. And, and in writing these books, it is to sort of constantly presence that idea of you're okay. And can we build a society that helps people be okay so that we reap the benefits of each one of us and the gifts that we have to share. So it's a thing I keep, I keep my eye on that thing all the time. Well, well, it's your North star. Yeah. Like humanity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I <laughs> love a, that. I, yeah. I, I promise this is the last question I ask every, every yeah. podcast guest, guest this, but if you had a magic wand that could change something in the mental health system or or ways mm. people think about themselves what, what would you use that for mm. uh, i huh. i mean it's a magic wand so <laughs> you, can, you can give everyone uh, a unicorn if you want I, I would, I, I think I would sort of imbue, and this word doesn't capture it really, but like, um, I, I would sort of imbue the whole world with this idea of like, you're enough right now. Like there's, there's nothing, there's nothing you're seeking. Um, that it's that like where you are, um, you're okay. And I say that with a capital O, a capital K, a beautiful, like, yeah, um, it's, it's funny you say that I have it written on my monitor. What if everything you seek, you already have? Yeah. Right. Like, I, uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Be- beautiful. Yeah. If we could embody that. Um, yeah. We'd all wake up tomorrow. Like, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how oh, how wow. you doing? I can, how are you doing? <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah. That'd be a, that'd be a killer gift that, that everyone. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Uh, Jason, I I I can't thank you enough for for doing this with me. It, um, how can people get a hold of you? And where where I'll put links in the description where they can grab these books. They're fantastic. But um, uh, if people want to follow you or any or, or what you're up to, do you have a specific place? Most of my like Facebook and Instagram are all just Jason Rule um, and G R U H L. And then my website, you see a little bit more about me is jasongruel.com and yeah, I think I think just searching for that. The books, the books are like uh, available almost anywhere. Uh, yeah. I we always tell people to go to their independent bookstores, you know, and support them. Um, and if that's difficult, Amazon, you know, has all yeah. those things too. But um, it's been I I I, probably, I I want another ninety minutes to kind of like dive into <laughs> what you do too because I I've watched many of your. Um, podcasts and the videos and things that you did um, at the beginning and it's just uh the question you're in is really inspiring to me and um and i i think what you're doing is so powerful and so authentic and it's and when you asked if we could do this i was just like I am the lucky guy here oh, to no, be with you. I, I'm definitely, I would feel honored <laughs> you would spend this time with me. Mm. It, it, yeah. I mean, I'd be, if you, we, I'd be happy to do one again if, if you're down for that too. Um, I feel like we totally. only scratched the surface of, of the, the autism schools that you were doing, which I wish I got there sooner. I apologize. <laughs> Just for that no, 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 no. <laughs> we clearly have multiple conversations in us. So it's, <laughs> yeah. it's good. But thank, thank you for, for this today. What a fantastic fantastic conversation i i always go into these podcast interviews like nervous because i've never met these people most of the time and this is the first conversation we're having and we're going deep down rabbit holes and what i'm finding is everybody is just so kind and calm and i leave feeling like my bucket is full and jason was no different i know i know what i'm giving out for christmas presents (laughs) to, to all my nieces and nephews so um Yes, for more on Jason Gruel, head over to www.jasongruel.com. That's it, everybody. If you got somebody you think I should talk to, send them my way. I'd, I'd love to chat. If you'd like to support what I'm doing, head over to onewholelifemedia.com, grab a shirt, and uh, yeah, start spreading some mental health awareness. As always, everybody, life is meant to be experienced, and curiosity will get you there. See you in the next podcast. <laughs>